welcome, faithful and loyal readers and listeners, <coughs> want another segment of Verse of the Day. Today's verse comes from Psalm 18, 1 through 2, which says, I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. <coughs> so Psalm 18 appears also in Second Samuel 22 with some minor differences. There it is positioned as a capstone after God gave David victory over his many enemies, and especially Saul. So David begins with a variety of metaphors focused on God's strength and protection. David's dominant image of God is that of an impenetrable fortress. And it is the metaphors that David used to describe God's protection and strength that we are going to be focusing on today. So the symbolism of verse 2, that's the part that says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold applies to our ongoing life struggles against physical and spiritual forces. So God's care for us is described by six symbols or metaphors. The first one is my rock, which represents the safety and security of God's steadfast strength. The second one is my fortress, representing a place of refuge and safety that the enemy cannot penetrate. The third one is my deliverer, representing God's ability to rescue and free people from trouble. The fourth is my shield, which represents how God steps between us and harm. The fifth is the horn of my salvation, representing God's strength and victorious power to save us. And the sixth and final metaphor is my stronghold, which represents the fact that if we hold firm to God and remain in a right relationship with Him, He will provide security and will lift us above the dangers of life. <coughs> and so today's Bible readings come from Judges 15 through 16, John 2, Psalm 103, 1 through 22, and Proverbs 14, 17 through 19. So that concludes our verse of the day segment. We are now going to move into day 122 of Arthur the Bible in one year segment. And our focus for today is going to be on John 1, 35 through 51. So yesterday we saw John the Baptist's testimony about Jesus. And 
today we will see the impact that John the Baptist's testimony about Jesus had. For in today's section of John's, of John's Gospel, <coughs> we see his account of the calling of Jesus' first disciples. And that is what our focus is going to be on today. The calling of Jesus' first disciples. So with that being said, we're going to dig in. So we're going to start in verse 35. So for this first one, we're going to so go to verse 36 for right now. So it says, The next day John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. So again, in this section, John recounts the testimony of some of Jesus' earliest followers. So the titles ascribed to Jesus here are impressive. We see Lamb of God, we see Rabbi, we see Messiah, we see Son of God, and we see King of Israel. The encounters with, the, with these disciples preceded Jesus' call of the four fishermen in Mark 1, 16-20. So John the Apostle continues to recount the opening days of Jesus' ministry. So two of John the Baptist's disciples stood beside him as Jesus passed by. And John the Baptist again declared Jesus to be the Lamb of God. And that is the turning point upon which the rest of the day's passage hinges. Because all of the rest of the events that happened from verses 37 through 51, happened from verse 37 through 51, happened because John the Baptist again made this bold statement. And two of his disciples were standing close enough to him to hear it. Now something amazing happened when they heard it. So we're going to pick up with seven and we're going to go through verse 40 which says when the two disciples heard him say this they followed jesus turning around jesus saw them following and asked what do you want they said rabbi which means teacher where are you staying come he replied and you will see so they went and where he was staying and they spent day with him it was about four in the afternoon. Andrew Simon, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. Had followed Jesus. So the two disciples followed Jesus and he invited them to spend the evening with him since it was late in the day. About 4 o'clock in the afternoon, about 4 p.m. So only Andrew is identified specifically by name. And the only reason he is identified specifically by name is that he is Simon Peter's brother. That's how he is also identified in the Gospel. Even though Peter has yet to be introduced into the narrative. So that gives us a clue as to the importance of this person. So Jesus' Jesus's response was much more significant than it appears on the surface. So what was his response, right? So Jesus asked them, what do they want? And they said, Rabbi, where are you staying? And Jesus replied, or Jesus' reply was, come and you will see. 
So that's the response that we're talking about. So his invitation to come and see was a call to salvation. And we are about to see the impact this call to salvation will have not only on these two men, those around them, but also on those of us who are followers of Christ today. So we're going to pick up in verse 41. Now we're going to go verse 41 and 42, which says the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. So the following morning, Andrew found his brother Simon and brought him to Jesus. John translates the term Messiah as Christ for his readers. So, so we now know that that Messiah and Christ are the same thing. If you haven't already realized that, Jesus then changes Simon's name to Cephas. Cephas is an Aramaic name. Peter is the Greek equivalent. Both mean rock. So in the Old Testament, God God changed someone's name. The change had important implications for their future. So Peter became a leading figure in the early days of the church in the Book of Acts. So if you haven't noticed, two big things happened in these two short little verses that should stick out. They are stuck in the middle of John's account of the early days of Jesus' ministry. So we, the first thing we see is we see the behaviors and actions of Andrew, and we see the name change of Simon, who we would later, who was later called Peter. So before we go any further, we need to explore these two things in greater detail. So the first thing we need to explore is Andrew's behavior and actions. So we should notice Andrew's behaviors and actions that we are sure of this section. And there are two behaviors and actions that we should take note of. So the first behavior and action that we should notice is that he followed Jesus without hesitation. So they can be found in verses 37 through 39. And so when it says, when the two disciples heard him say this, and what did they hear John the Baptist say, Behold, look, the Lamb of God. Right? Heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Right? So they he followed Jesus without hesitation. He was told, look, the Lamb of God. So the Lamb of God means the one who's going to come take away the sins of the world, because that's what a lamb did. I understand that. So the second behavior and action that we should notice is that he immediately proceeded to introduce someone else to Christ. So we see that in verses <coughs> 40 through 42, which says Andrew Simon, Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. 
The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and brought him to Jesus. So I'm going to leave it right there for just a minute. Right. <clears throat> so this pattern that Andrew established should be the pattern adopted by all of those who choose to follow Christ. So the second thing we need to notice is Simon Peter's name change, which also occurs in verse 42 when it says, Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. So as we've already said, both Cephas and Peter mean rock. However, ironically, throughout the Gospel accounts, Peter is Definitely, definitely no rock in the sense of being unmovable and reliable in both his speech and his actions. In fact, he is often shown as one who was driven to extremes by his emotions and his spiritual instability. He was one who was driven to extremes by his emotions and spiritual instability, yet in acts he becomes a bold powerful and faithful leader of the church. For you see Jesus' name Peter not for who he was, but for who he would be come. And that's the key that we gotta understand is that Jesus sings us who we will be come and not who we started off as So now that we have seen John's account of how Andrew and Peter came to know Jesus begin to follow him. It's time to turn to how Philip and Nathaniel came to know and follow Jesus. And we see that starting in verse 43. So the first thing we're going to look at is verses 43 through 46, which says the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, he found the one Moses wrote about in the law, <coughs> and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. Come and see, said Philip. So the next day, as Jesus left for Galilee, he called Philip to follow him. So ancient Judaism, a person would typically approach a rabbi about becoming a disciple, whether, rather than the other way around. So in other words, what, <coughs> what I'm trying to say is that traditionally, the person would approach a rabbi or a teacher about following them, the rabbi would not approach that person about that person coming to follow them, which is what Jesus did to Philip. You follow me there so far, right? <coughs> and you should again notice that Philip followed Jesus by immediately finding Nathaniel. So by now you should have noticed a pattern of behavior among Jesus' first disciples. Right. So his first disciples, they would meet Jesus.
was their friends and family to Jesus. And they did this because they clearly believed that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the chosen one, Jesus is the one who has came, who came to save, who has come to save the people from their sins. <coughs> so now let's turn to Nathaniel, because Nathaniel had an interesting response <coughs> to Philip's declaration that he had found the promised and longed for Messiah. Because you see, Nathaniel told, uh, excuse me, Philip told Nathaniel that Jesus was from Nazareth. And Nathaniel responded by saying this, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? It's in verse 46. So this comment from Nathaniel is surprising since Nathaniel himself came from Canada, which, uh, by the way, is located in Mali, which, by the way, is where Nazareth is located. So are you getting uh, the irony here? He was saying nothing good can come from there, but yet I have come from there. So Nathaniel's negative, this negative response could have been the result of thinking the Messiah would come from Bethlehem, Micah 5, 2. Right? But as we know, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but yet he lived in Galilee. You following? So, however, as we will see, Nathaniel still chose to go and see Jesus, even though he had his doubts. So, we're going to pick up there in verse 47, and we're going to take it through the end of this, of chapter 1, which would be verse 51. So, when Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said to them, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree, before Philip called you. Then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. Then he added, Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. On the Son of Man. So Jesus knew Nathaniel's character, even though he had never ever met Nathaniel in person. How did he know Nathaniel's character then? Well, because you gotta remember. Jesus was God in the flesh. So Jesus knew who Nathaniel was, because even though he hadn't met Nathaniel person to person, he had met Nathaniel God to person. Following me there so far? <coughs> Nathaniel's opinion of Jesus therefore changed immediately after meeting Jesus. Because when he met Jesus, he immediately recognized him and saw that, hmm, my brother is right. I was wrong. This man is the Messiah. This man is the 
chosen one who has come to save the people from their sins. So he immediately confessed Jesus to be the Son of God and the King of Israel, both of which are messianic titles. Jesus then promised that greater things. So Jesus then makes a promise, right? What does Jesus say? <coughs> you believe because I told you you were. You saw, I saw you under the fig tree. So he's saying, you only believe because I said. I saw you sitting under the fig tree talking to your brother. But you're gonna see greater things than these. These are the greater things that he was going to see. Were the things that we're gonna see detailed when we get into chapter two tomorrow. Right, which will be the very next episode in Cana. To the turning of the water into wine, giving you a small hint of what tomorrow's gonna be about. So now we see this term very truly, which are often used in this gospel to introduce an authoritative statement by Jesus, and that authoritative statement is virtually, I tell you, you will see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. <coughs> so the pronouncement was that angels would be ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So let's talk a little bit about the title, the Son of Man. So it was one of Jesus' favorite self-designations. So the background is found in Daniel 7, 13-14, where the Son of Man is presented as a heavenly figure who is entrusted by God with authority, glory, and power. So what am we talking about there? So let's see what we are talking about there. Daniel seven thirteen through fourteen. Says. It says, In my vision at night, I looked, and there before him was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of, ancient of days, and was led into his presence. <coughs> he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All, all nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So you see, Daniel is having this vision of a heavenly scene, right? He sees when it comes down like a son of man which comes with clouds of heaven to the Ancient of Days. So this arrival was a vindication and exaltation. The son of man figure received everlasting dominion in a kingdom. The anticipated kingdom in the Old Testament was the Davidic hope from 2 Samuel 7, 12-13. And we already talked about, right, that the Messiah would be a son of David, that the Messiah would be a king of Israel. So all earthly kingdoms would pass away, but the reign of the son of David would be forever. This exalted son of man in Daniel 7 is the promised son of David in 2 Samuel 7. 
possessing total dominion. The son of man is the ultimate Adam, who would give him the task of subduing creation. Following so far, the title Jesus used most for himself was Son of Man, which linked him to the Daniel 7 figure. After his resurrection, he told his disciples that all authority in heaven and on earth had been given to him. He later ascended to the right hand of the Father, where he will reign until all enemies are under his feet. I now understand what this term, the Son of Man, means. So now we can talk a little bit about what the second part means, which is the angels of God ascending and descending. So that is an allusion to Jacob's vision in Genesis 28:10 through 17. So what is this vision that we're talking about there? That's found over in Genesis. So this vision found in Genesis 28, 10 through 17 is this. So Jacob left there and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stay resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So that's the scene we're talking about. So, this, so the passage we just read describes a stairway extending from earth to heaven with angels ascending and descending on it. So Jesus point when he alludes to that in that he is the one who connects heaven and earth. He is the stairway that allows all of this de- ascending and descending to happen. That was his whole point. There when he said virtually you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So what he's telling Philip is you're going to see greater things than this happening. You're going to see the heavens open up and you're going to see angels coming down. You're going to see angels going up. You're going to see all kinds of powerful things that are going to prove to you that I am who I say I am. That I am who Philip says that I am. And so we will pick up from there tomorrow. Let's be- begin the next section of John's Gospel that starts in chapter 2 with the wedding at Cana of Galilee. And quite possibly we might get into the
verses 17 to 18. John 3, 1 through 21. Psalm 104, 1 through 23. And Proverbs 14, 20 through 21. Yeah.